0: everyone, and thanks for joining us today on our CEAI, Esri Apartment Investors series of podcast episodes. I have Lee Harris, our CEO and president, and Ryan Huffman, our COO, here today. And we're taking a little bit more macro approach to what we'll be talking with you about today. We've spent some time going through some case studies with apartment properties that we've owned and sold over the last several years. But today we're going to talk more globally about apartment investing, different types of apartments that you can invest in, um, and a little bit of the nuances within the multifamily asset class. Um, So Lee, maybe you can get us started talking through what the difference is between between value-add investing, which, spoiler alert, Cohen Esri's um, bread and butter is value-add investing, but we also have new construction investing and also deep rehab investing. Can you talk us through those first?
1: Sure. So uh, why did we settle on uh, the value-add sector? And before we uh, go further, let me define that. Uh, Value-add is typically a, a, a property that Uh, exists already. It's not new construction. Uh, And we'll get into some some further definition with respect to class A, class B, class C here in a moment. But uh, typically, uh, these are existing apartments that need what I call a shave and a haircut, Uh, or or maybe a little bit more of a shave and a haircut in some cases. But that's typically spending $3,000, $5,000, maybe as much as $8,000 a unit for physical improvements to the amenities package, to the exterior, making repairs, perhaps, siding replacement, roof replacement, things like that. And certainly on the unit interior features, uh, the plank style flooring, the granite countertops, the stainless steel appliances, new lighting packages, that sort of thing. Uh, That's really how we define value add. And the value comes from Uh, the fact that we can get more rent. Uh, And so we're usually looking for a bump in rent of 75 to as much as 200 or $300 per per month per unit. Uh, Now, why not new construction? There's so much new construction uh, across the country. And in cycles past, I have seen this repeat uh, multiple times. It hasn't so far, but it could someday. And what is this? it is overbuilding. Uh, You don't overbuild existing product, you overbuild new product. And uh, so far, this has been a long bull run, if you will, for the apartment industry, where we have not seen any significant significant overbuilding in any market uh, across the country. But uh, we we are kind of a margin of safety uh, investor. We, we're always looking for a way to get a leg up and, and improve our, our risk profile at the same time. And new construction uh, is, the, is the top of the market typically in rents. Uh, and so if there's a big economic down cycle of some sort, like happened in 2008, 2009, uh, people lose their jobs. Uh, Their incomes are stagnant. Maybe their incomes decrease and they just can't afford to live in a uh, brand new, newly constructed apartment. What happens then? Rents come down in that that class A uh, sector and the investment returns are impacted adversely at the same time. Uh, in, In the past, what's been interesting is that class A Uh, differential in rent between class B, and so I'm making the distinction now with new construction versus the value add space that we're in. Uh, There's been a 175, maybe a $200 differential in in rent at the most. And what would happen in a down cycle is that those rents are busted, Uh, they roll back. And now maybe that rent differential is 50 or $75 and the folks in a value-add type of product would say, oh, for that small amount of money, we'll move up into a class A, brand-new construction uh, type of product. And uh, we, we lose occupancy in that value-add space. And our rents roll back a bit to attract more rent- renters from, the, from the, the deep value-add, if you will, where there's a much more substantial renovation need, much older product. And it's just a vicious cycle. Well, what's different now is that that dynamic does not exist. We see average uh, rent differentials between the value add space and new construction space uh, in the $500 per unit range, perhaps even more in some markets. And what that means is if there is uh, an adverse impact in the new construction space, the rents will drop, but they're not going to drop $500, they're not going to drop $350 most likely. So we feel that there's a great margin of safety and an insulation factor, if you will, uh, on our value add play, and that we do not expect that that cycle would continue past the, the new construction phase. So if there's an economic downturn in the next few years, people can't afford to live in the new construction uh they'll move, the rents will roll back, but not $500. And our value add products should be safe from that, uh, that significant downturn. So that's one of the reasons that we like the space we're in as opposed to new construction. Now, new construction yields uh, for investors is, is also uh, a bit less uh, because the, the prices have been bid up so much by investors uh, and there's just kind of, it's, it's hard to tell how much higher you can push those, those new construction rents. So that's uh, part of the uh, equation. The other end of the scale is the deep value add or, or the, the property that's, that was built in the 1960s that has some functional obsolescence, needs perhaps as much as $40,000, $50,000 a unit in renovation we see that risk profile as also uh, a a much greater risk. uh, And you have to get substantial increases in rents uh, to to afford to make that kind of an investment in that deep value-add product. Uh, And and again, we just really like this this midline value-add space that we're in. And and I know Ryan's probably going to talk a bit more about the Class A, Class B, Class C monikers That we hear a lot about.
0: Yeah. Ryan, if you could go into those definitions a little bit. And also, as you're going through that, I think it might be interesting for our listeners to hear what our company's experience has been like over the last 18 months, because you see all sorts of headlines about renters and landlords and everything. But our our experience um, maybe isn't always in line with some of the scary headlines that you see. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Let's get into that. I mean, I think, you know, Lee brought up a lot of really good points. And and one thing I think for any investor that you've got to really know about yourself is what your risk profile is. Um, Lee outlined it really well. And you can look at the three different classes, new construction, value added, deep, deep rehab. Those all carry risk reward benefits, right? And the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Um, new construction has relatively low risk. Therefore its return profile is relatively low value adds in the middle and deep rehab has great risk, but has great rewards and, but could also have, you know, significant downturns. So I definitely think it's important, you know, wherever you're at in your investment cycle to know what your risk return appetite actually is. You know, when you talk about classes, there's all different ways to, to take classes, <laughs> we see it all the time. We define the classes by age vintage because it can be pretty set. So Lee brought up, you know, new construction, new construction is class A. Um, I usually define that as something that's five years and younger. Um, So anything constructed in the the last five years, we plot in the A category. Um, B for us is going to be kind of 80s, mid 80s to early to mid 2000s construction. That's where we peg our B product. And then C is going to be anything older than mid-80s. Um, and you can go down to, to D and, and that and whatnot, but really it's class A, B, C is where they focus. Um, and so age is just the easiest method for us to to classify it in terms of how that would look. So it gives us a very clear delineation line of, of the class. Um, and Lydia, you'd wanted to, you asked an interesting question about what we've experienced. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Are you wanting to know you know, what you think we should talk about.
0: Yeah. So I was thinking in terms of delinquency and in terms of rental increases, what has that been like for our class B product that's in our portfolio?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you see all the headlines and, you know, I always say headlines are headlines. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're, they're meant to be clickbait if you will, Mm -hmm. to get you to click through. Um, we took a pretty proactive approach during the pandemic. We really, you know, my mantra was lead with compassion. I really do believe people by and large want to do the right thing. Um, And so we educated our resident base a lot. You know, you see, you you saw all the groups online, everybody was, you know, landlords were getting flamed for sending nasty notes and demanding rent and, you know look everybody was experiencing something during this and and rent pays for things right rent pays for utilities and it pays for the lawn care crew to come cut the grass and it pays for the staff to be on site to service you know stay at home orders we provided the home and that's really you know for everyone to understand what their rent check pays for it's not pure profit that goes to a landlord it really does pay for your services that you're experiencing on the property And, you know, the result of all of that communication was our delinquency, you know, we were well ahead of the national average. I think during the pandemic, we were two, three percent delinquent, really low compared to what you were seeing um, out there. And it's because people chose to pay rent um, and they understood why they were paying it. So I think that was an important piece of the topic in terms of rent increases. We actually, in the very beginning, halted all rent increases like most did because you just didn't know what was going to happen and how we took a very offensive position with the portfolio, um, insulating it, trying to insulate it um, as we went through, you know, probably three months in, we reinstituted rent lifts. Um, and as you're seeing, and you're correctly seeing in the headlines, rent is just skyrocketing in areas. Um, and we're experiencing the, the same thing. It's a supply demand issue. Like Lee said, there's all kinds of building, but you're not seeing overbuilding. That product is being absorbed into the market. So there is a huge demand for rental product. And that just continues with those rent lifts, I believe. And I don't see an end in sight, Lee. I, I mean, you look at the populations and... There's just not an end right now in sight for apartments.
1: That well, that's means. right. And, and not only did we uh, mm-hmm. experience low delinquency, one of the reasons that we did, uh, besides the, the compassionate management approach, was the, uh, the fact that we helped many residents uh, access the rental assistance programs that have been made available through the federal government and, and administered through various uh, sources. And uh, people appreciated that as well. I think smaller landlords that uh, don't have the infrastructure uh, probably suffered more. And particularly in the Class C space, uh, we manage some Class C for third parties. And I know that there was a little bit more of a struggle. But again, for the most part, we didn't have any sort of major issue with collections during the pandemic, uh, the height of it, certainly. Um, and and to the, the point, let's look at demographics briefly here. Uh, we have, and we may have spoken to this before in one of these podcasts, but we have a uh, really a three tiered, maybe even a four tiered uh, generational cohort we're looking at. We have baby boomers that are yeah, we're down to, I'm a baby boomer. So uh, my generation is 70.5 million people. Uh, we used to be 78 million. We've lost a few along the way. Uh, we were an 80% com- home ownership cohort. That's now down to 77 and a half percent. And we're seeing more baby boomers that are retiring and saying to act with the home ownership. I want to live in an apartment. I want to be footloose and fancy free. We're seeing the millennial generation. Uh, well, I, I should back up. Gen X uh, is a that's sixty-five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a sixty-five point six million population cohort, um, and that's strong homeownership, much stronger homeownership at this stage of their lives. But then you go to the to the millennial generation, and uh, that's a seventy-two million person cohort. And, and we're seeing home ownership rates there running uh, in, in 42, 43%, something like that, up from 35%. But why is the, uh, the home ownership uh, so low in uh, that generation where we have some people in their late 30s and, and at 40 years of age? And student debt is still a big problem. Credit scores are still a big problem. Saving enough money for a down payment is a problem. And there is a bit of a desire, more of a desire on the part of of the the millennial generation to live in apartments. Uh, They like the lifestyle. My generation, when we were growing up, the the American dream was to own your own home. And that still uh, carries some weight, but not nearly as much with the millennial generation as it used to. And then we have the Zoomers, the Generation Z, which is uh, is a 60-some-odd million, but it's a growing generation, and that's the 18- to 24-year-old, 25-year-old uh, that is traditionally an apartment renter. So what we have is a collision of, of really three major generational cohorts that are pushing the demand for rental housing to levels we've never seen. I've never seen it in the 46 years I've done this, and we see no abatement of that. Uh, we're at really very low levels since 2008, 2009 in terms of h- uh, new home construction. Uh, so there's a shortage of new homes and, and prices are being bid up, which again puts so many homes out of reach of, of renters that uh, we, we see this uh, this, this cycle elongating for, for years to come. And, uh, I, I think that that's really a marked change in, uh, the, the apartment industry since again, the, the 1970s when, when I got in this business.
0: And Ryan, I've heard you say this before, but across every one of those cohorts that Lee mentioned, we have renters by necessity, but also renters by choice. Right, so that that's a pretty big part of each one of those demographics, renters by choice, especially with the younger generations coming up. There, that true renters age, um, and we don't see them moving into home ownership anytime soon. Really, eventually, that likely would happen, but there's a lot of reasons why they're choosing not to or out of necessity, they're living there. Um, So I think this also ties in with our investment thesis of of the best B, which is the the term that we've coined as what we want our properties to be. So we look at class B properties, um, but we implement our operations team and we implement our strategies and policies to make it the best B property in that area. Ryan, maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Some of the things that we do to make sure that our properties are at that best B level.
2: Yeah. And I think that's a, a perfect, you, you quoted it quite well. I mean, Lee Lee brought it up and gave all the cohort information and really, you know, if you look back 30 years, a lot of renters were renters of circumstance. You know, they were renting for a reason. Don't have a down payment on a house, had a life change, had a job change, moved. I mean, pick, pick what the reason might be what you're really seeing now are people choosing to rent. And that's a significant paradigm shift because when you choose to rent, now you're also choosing to pay for the lifestyle that you wanna have. And that gets into this best B product. What we typically do, and we we coin it best B because we wanna be the best B product in the area that mimics A at a lower cost point. Now that mimicking isn't going to be identical. We're not going to take everything from an A product and put it into our B product. What we are going to do is pick and choose from a menu. Those things we see in the A product in that area and apply some of them to our B. Now, what could that be? Plank flooring could be granite countertops. It's going to be the fixtures. It's really focused heavily on the amenity package. So we're getting ready. Our first project to go under full smart technology um, is going to go on in Texas. We've dabbled in it. We've put some of the thermostats in we've, we've done some of the locks, but we've never done a full total package where it's really smart tech, um, an uptick. And that's going to be our first foray into that. Um, amenities are going to be things like, you know, zero entry pools or cabanas or smokers on the, on the, the deck, um, you know, all kinds of amenities that you would like in what I call resort style living, um and those are the kinds of amenities you're going to find in these best B products but it doesn't stop there we're really looking at the programming of the ops team providing that outstanding customer fulfillment through our NPS scoring um we've got all kinds of scripts on how to handle situations in the best way possible um we brought on a customer fulfillment advocate here at our office that can help um our our team members in the field provide better customer fulfillment. So you really have to take it at all levels to get where we want to go. Um, and that's really, you know, the target of how we're going to roll out best being and continue it. And Lee, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but that's, that's our vision that we're executing.
1: Yeah. yeah I do think that uh, the price point is an interesting uh, study here. As I said earlier, there is this enormous rent differential between Class A and Class B, uh, at least five hundred dollars in most markets. and then some other some markets, it's even more than that. And our, again, defensive strategy here is that by the time we raise those rents uh, after making the physical improvements, uh, we still want 400 to be four hundred to four hundred and fifty dollars below, the top of top of the market. Uh, the idea is that if a Class A renter has some sort of uh, uh, economic crisis, let's say and, and perhaps it's driven on a macro basis uh, by the local or national economy uh, and they need to uh, they, they, they need to roll the rents back at that particular apartment complex, we still believe that we're going to be, hundreds maybe maybe it's 150 or 200 uh less than that class a product but the idea is if we're giving our residents everything they could get in those class a or most everything they could get in those class a apartments and there's that big a a rent differential people are going to say you know i don't know that it really makes sense for us to 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 move into a, a property just because it's that much newer and maybe it has nine foot ceilings. Unfortunately, we haven't figured out how to raise eight eight foot ceilings to nine feet, but we'll figure it out. Uh, we'll yeah. I haven't it out. figured out, but, it out yet. Yeah. But I think that that's part of our best be strategy is to, as you said, mimic class a in every respect we can. And not only do we look at that menu and say, okay, these six things need to be present in our property but we also try to add at least one thing of some significance for example parcel lockers are becoming a big deal uh the parcel locker system where um, amazon and fedex and ups they're making these enormous amounts of deliveries where we've seen properties where the the clubhouse floor is just piled high with packages and people get irritated because they can't make it to, to the office before the uh, the office closes after work, and they have to wait until the next day or the weekend to get their packages. And pawing through this mount. it's just not very efficient and, and not very customer customer friendly. So these parcel lockers are a system where uh, they're twenty four hour available uh, and. Uh, the delivery service texts a code to the resident, tells them which locker they go to that locker, they punch in the code, the door pops open, they get their package. That's a nifty feature. Uh, It's something that we don't see on very many Class B properties. And we don't see it on all that many Class A properties. I think it's a growing trend. But if we're in a market where only 25% of the Class A properties have that, uh, we may install that uh, as an added feature for, for our Class B renters. So that's just an example. But uh, I think that the, the, this rent differential and the way we've insulated our investors with uh, this Best B strategy is, is working very well.
0: Well, thanks, Lee, for adding those additional details about our Best B um, terminology here. And, and Ryan Lee, thank you both again for taking more macro approach this time around with our listeners. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you next time.